Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Come on now. I know that Bishop and Tracy had a word, I believe, that's going to encourage you as well. Oh, in Jesus' name. Um, the worship songs have just been lining up, I believe, with a word that God has just had in my heart in the last two weeks. And it, it's about opening up the chamber of expectancy in my heart. And God really dealt with me about coming to him in prayer and not expecting to see a father that loves me show up and do that which I come in faith asking him for. Faith is not coming to God hoping and trusting that he will show up. Faith is coming to a loving father knowing that he's receiving that prayer and that he's going to show up, that he's going to move. He's a God that never sleeps or slumber. He's going to move. And I believe that's a word for the church today. And God just gave me an understanding when, when Trina was pregnant with Jeremiah and Josiah. There was no hope that those boys were going to come. They're the greatest blessing that God has ever given me. I, as, her, as her belly grew and she went through all the, 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 the symptoms and things dealing with birth and, and bringing forth the blessing of those two boys, I knew they were coming. I came to God thanking him for bringing those boys into my life. There was no doubt that the blessing of those two boys were coming. And as, as we face circumstances, as we, we, we come to the Lord and pray for our family, our loved ones, as we face financial trials and circumstances, we face physical challenges, you have to know that the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, that when you come believing, why should we expect anything of the Lord if we come without faith, if we come without knowing that the God of heaven and earth with a love that we can never understand, receives our prayers, and that he's going to love us. Paul, in his, in his final letter to the Corinthians, I believe was in verse 16, said, Be courageous and stand in faith with love. We have to, we have, we're living in a time and season, whatever you're going through, church, you have to be courageous men and women of God. You have to stand in faith. That's not hoping that the God of the universe is going to show up. You have to stand in faith knowing with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, that now is the time. The blessing's not delayed. Gabriel, Gabriel was coming, and he had to fight to get there, but he came. The blessing is coming. We're living in a time and day and age. I'm telling you, it's coming. Now is the time of the church. Now is the time of the move of God. Everything that you're believing, everything that you've been hoping for, Bishop gave a word a few weeks back. He said, no matter what it looks like, you got to know. Now is the time. And God confirmed it in my heart then. Now is the time, church. So, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father God, through the blood and the power of Christ, that, Lord God, you would just open the chamber of expectancy in the heart of your children, in the heart of your church. Father God, that it will remove all doubt, it will remove all unbelief, that it would be no more wavering faith, but it would be a faith, a firm and a courageous faith that we know that through the blood of Christ and through the gift of righteousness that you receive our prayers. You receive our petitions. And, and Lord, a good friend told me, he said, Tracy, if you're coming and you're asking every day for the same thing, do you really believe that God's going to give it? 
you, your, your prayer, a petition, has to turn into a prayer of thanksgiving. So, Lord, I pray that the prayers of petition today will become prayers of thanksgiving. They will become prayers of praise, and they will become prayers of, of, of thanksgiving, knowing that which we have asked in faith, that you're a rewarder of us, Father God. You're a rewarder of your children, and that you will, Lord God, bring forth in the manifestation of every blessing, every promise in the lives of your children today, in this season, in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Spirit of God is one. And, and the Lord has been taking me through a school, the school in the prophetic. Uh, when God is moving and God wants to say something, God will put it in the heart of several people in the church. And if you don't respond, God will activate somebody else. Amen. So what Tracy said is exactly what the Lord put in my heart. Uh, God is saying, you know, as we were singing that song, bodies are still being raised. Bondage are still being set free. I sense in my spirit there are some people, because the situation has gone on for so long, you have prayed, you have labored, you have agonies of mind before the Lord, and nothing seems to be moving. And maybe you kind of reserve to faith. Like, yeah, maybe this is how it's going to be. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love God. And I'm going to just manage this. But God is speaking to you this morning. Miracle are still happening. God is still in the business of miracles. God is still in the business of turning lives around. You know, Pastor released a prophetic word earlier about sons coming back. Do you truly believe that your sons are coming back? So you have to get to a place, you have to get to a place that you make a decision. No matter what the winds and waves are saying, no matter what the doctors are saying, the reports keep getting from bad to worse, I plant my feet immovable. Because he's still a miracle working God. Amen? He's still a miracle working God. What God cannot do does not exist. Help me tell your neighbor. What God cannot do does not exist. What God cannot do does not exist. And my situation is not going to be the exception. But God is saying to his house this morning, be like Abraham. The Bible says, against hope, in hope he believed. Abraham is looking at his situation, there's no hope. But against it, he said, no, I'm still going to believe. And so God is saying to you this morning, are you going to take me at my word? Are you going to believe me? Even when you cannot trace him. Even when you cannot feel him. Even when it looks like this is how it's going to be. But God is saying this morning, I'm still in the business of doing miracles. I'm still in the business of healing bodies. I'm still in the business of turning businesses around. I'm still in the business of healing marriages, healing families. Whatever your situation is, God is saying to you this morning, come like a child. Stay there. Even on days that you don't feel like praying and singing or worshiping, 
Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go, but I believe you. I just hang on. You know, somebody said, faith is hanging on to nothing until nothing becomes something. Faith is hanging on to nothing until nothing materializes. It's still in the business of doing miracles. Amen? It's still in the business of doing miracles. Don't, res- don't, don't, don't put it off and say, you know, this is, this is how it's going to be. No, no. God is saying to you, sons and daughters, I'm still in the business of doing miracles. I'm not supposed to preach. Yeah. Woo. I'm kind of excited right now. I don't know about y'all. I want to invite the children. I'm going to have Miss Pat pray over us a, a scripture. Come on, children. Come on up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Miss Pat's a volunteer. You can tell by her lovely shirt. Nico and Deanna? Or, yeah, they are. Come on. I love him saying, do what you are famous for, because his word is what makes him famous. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I have plans. He has plans for us to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. And that's not only for us, but it's certainly for our sons and daughters. I claim it right now. We trust in you, Lord, with all our hearts. And we do not lean on our own understanding because it stinks. <laughs> That's in the book of Pat. <laughs> but we lean on you, Lord, because you are in control. We thank you today for your miracle work and power. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's good to see all of you today. Give me just a second to get set up. I've told the Lord to be whoever he wants to be through Lisa today. Whatever expression of himself he wants to be in the earth today through me, I have said yes and amen, so I have no idea what it's going to look like, but it's going to be fun because that's been my other prayers. Lord, let us have fun. So today I'm going to talk about pride. I am going to talk about pride. And I want to start by sharing a story. 17 years ago, a worship leader named Paul Wilbur came to Wilmington to give a concert. And many of the women dancers in the city came together to do our Jewish dances up on the stage with Paul Wilbur singing. And at that time, I was 32 years old. When you're 32 years old, you're very young and you're limber and you're sure on your feet. And I had taken many, many years of dance, so I was very graceful with my moves. And I'm a quick learner, and I have a great short-term memory. So I learned the steps a little bit faster than the other women. And because I felt insecure in that room full of beautiful, gifted, spiritual women, I tried to make myself feel better. You know, maybe I was the best dancer in the room. I'm more graceful than she is, and I learned the steps faster than her, and I'm very sure on my feet, better than her. And to make myself feel better, I built built myself up into the best dancer of the room. But at the same time, 
I could hear the voice of Holy Spirit saying, hmm, okay, what about, what is that? I knew what it was. It was pride. And so I prayed a dangerous prayer. I said, God, would you make me humble? Would you humble me? Don't ever pray that unless you're really sure that you want the answer to that. So that night of the concert, I showed up in a beautiful floor-length, multicolored dress that had been tailored to fit my body. It was made by Deborah Blanchard, and I showed up in all of my glory. But I had to use the bathroom. So think little stall, floor-length dress. To make it short and simple, the dress fell where I did not want it to fall. And the previous person had not flushed. So there I am in the bathroom with a dryer trying to dry the back of my dress before the concert. And minutes were ticking away. So I may have been the best dancer on the stage. But I was the only one with a wet and smelly backside. I prayed for humility. And I sure got it. Graceful, yes, but why does she have the big wet stain? God answers prayer. <laughs> Proverbs sixteen eighteen said, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. I messed that up. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So today we're going to talk about a sin that lurks in all of our hearts and I am coming to you today as a fellow person who struggles with pride, not as the one who has achieved humility, but as one who is walking alongside you in this battle against pride. There are many overt sins that we talk about, like sexual sins or theft or violence or pornography or lying, but no one in this room knows about the pride that lurks in your heart except you. It's something you can keep well hidden. And so I want to help us to recognize how pride might be manifesting in your life. And it's a barrier to intimacy with God and with others. So we're going to talk about three ways that pride manifests in your life. There may be others. We're going to touch on three. The first one is that pride is critical and judgmental of others. And you ladies, you are all beautiful dancers. I want you to know y'all are beautiful dancers. Many of those women, many women here today danced with me that night when I had the wet stain and, and y'all didn't. So pride, because of areas where we feel insecure, pride will tear others down to make you feel better. So, like, if you're a woman and you've gone into Walmart and you didn't have time to take a shower and you're feeling nasty and grimy and ugly, and then you look at the woman at the next aisle and you say, well, at least I don't wear my jammie pants to Walmart, that's pride <laughs> right there. You tear others down to make yourself feel better. So, this is something that I taught my children. I used the Cheez-It example. So... Here are two people. Here is one person who feels very bad about themselves. And they see another person that's maybe being successful, 
Maybe they're getting good grades. Maybe they're getting promotions. Maybe they're walking in their calling. Maybe they bought a new house. They see the person who's insecure sees this person being successful, and they just want to knock them back down to where they are. How do they do it? Usually words. This is bullying. This is what bullying is. You take a broken, insecure person, seeing someone, if you're thinking about schools, who may be popular or a cheerleader or successful, and they just beat them back down so they're on the same level. This is what pride does, and pride and jealousy often go hand in hand. But can, you can see. <laughs> and my children um, received, my, my children received this bullying right here in this church. The most harmful words said to my children were from broken, insecure children in this church. This is what we do. We make ourselves feel better by putting other people down. It may be on the basis of appearance, intelligence, what kind of job you have. It may be based on accent. If you hear somebody talking like this, you think they are uneducated, ignorant, maybe poor. But if you hear somebody say, yo, I, wanna, I drink coffee often, you might think, well, that might, that's a person from New Jersey who's a rude driver. And there was a security person here. I did. I probably spent 30 minutes listening to YouTube New Jersey accents. Corfee. Orphan. There you go. I did. I worked on that. There was a security person that worked here one time, and I remember he sat in the back, and he told me he was from up north, but he had no accent. And I said, what about your accent? He said, I've worked to get rid of it so people won't judge me. So we judge people based on their accents. Maybe we judge them based on their parenting skills. Well, at least I don't let my kid do that. We judge people. We tear them down based on how clean their house is, how nice their cart is. Well, let's look in the Bible. If you will turn with me to Luke 18, verse 9, we're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. One thing that always confused me was, what is it with these tax collectors? Technically, they, they weren't sinners, not always, but they worked in cahoots with the Romans. They were Jewish people that worked in cahoots with the Romans, which meant they're the enemies. They were the enemies. Some of them, yes, were sinners and probably cheated. We don't know that all of them were, but they had a bad reputation. You did not want to be a tax collector, because it was like you were evil. So Luke 18, starting with verse 9, it says, And he, it's referring to Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get, but, but the tax collector 
standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the sinner, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's an example. The tax collector being humble, and the Pharisee building himself up by tearing someone else down. I think it's human nature that that's what we do. So I just want to ask you, who have you torn down even today? Just in your thoughts. Why did she wear that? Why does the pastor do it this way? If I were the pastor, I would do it this way. People go on. Why did they post that on Facebook? Why did he say this? We judge people. We judge people. And often, even when we're jealous, we judge people that, that we admire or who we think are in competition with us. I know when I was, I'm so glad my children are now adults, because when they were young and I was homeschooling, I was so insecure. I had no clue what I was doing. And then you'd have the super moms that were like going to five field trips a week, and they were doing Latin and all this and that. And I didn't want to... I was like, I do not want to know those people. I I just am not even in the same league. And because of my own jealousy and insecurity, I never became their friends because they intimidated me. And what if we were supposed to be friends? I remember um, a lady in this church, I'm not gonna call her name, but if she wants to, she can raise her hand. (laughs) Because she's here. But she came to me and let me know that I intimidated her. And that really formed a friendship because she humbled herself and and we worked it out and we were good and, and we're still good. But sometimes we put people at arm's length because they might intimidate us or we feel less than. And so that's another way that our own pride and insecurity can put distance in relationships. So pride separates because it tears others down to build yourself up. And the antidote to this is humility. It's humility. It's thinking the best of others. It's thinking they're better. This is on your handout, Romans 12, 3. And I'm mixing up translations a little bit because some verses I memorized in one translation. And, you know, through the years when you've had lots of Bibles, you can say, well, that one was New King James, and this is NIV. And um, so I, I, I chose which translations. Romans 12, 3. Because this is um, Paul writing, because of the privilege and authority God has given to me, I give each of you this warning. Okay, here's a warning. He spells it out. This is a warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. He made that really clear. Don't think you are better than you really are. Don't build yourself up to tear somebody down. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Woo! 
What is your honest evaluation of yourself? Are you the best dancer? Are you the most spiritual? Are you the best prophet? Are you the best preacher? Would you be the best leader? Is your yard the best? Are you the smartest in your family? Are you better than those people of that other political party? We build ourselves up with pride. You know, the best example is Jesus. And I could just preach for the next hour about the humility of Jesus. And Philippians 2 just puts it in the most beautiful words. This is called the Christ hymn, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. It starts off, again, a very similar wording from Paul. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. That means if somebody's trying to walk across the parking lot, you stop your car and you let them. (laughs) That's just basic courtesy. They're more important than you. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. That means at the picnic next week, grab your piece of Miss Addie's fried chicken and grab one for your friend. (laughs) Don't just think about yourself. Think about others. Make sure you get one for your friend. Have this attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He became a slave, being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point, excuse me, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we don't need to rehearse today how humiliating that was for him, because you've heard that before, many of you have. It's the most humiliating kind of death. And here's God who came to earth took this form as a man, which I guess he was young. He didn't have all the aches and pains that a 40-something-year-old woman has when she gets up in the morning. It's tough being a human in this earth. He became a man. Not only that, he humbled himself to death. And more than that, it was death on a cross. He did all of those things for us. If you want an example example of humility, there it is. It's the best one you're going to find. And we're to take up our cross and follow him. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. If you want to be a great person in the earth, humble yourself. If you want to do great things, humble yourself. Serve, learn, honor, respect. Humble yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, describing love, says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Now, we know the first and second commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What is love? It isn't proud. So if you want to follow what Jesus says, that second commandment, Love. 
It's not proud. It's not proud. It's not proud. So pride is critical and judgmental of others, but humility lifts others up instead of tearing them down. I drove past the trash truck in my neighborhood this week, and I just said, God, I thank you. He's got a job. You know, I didn't say, well, he's a trash man. I just said, God, bless that man for working hard. That's just an example of how you can just lift somebody up with your thoughts. I know when we drive, we can say, God, bless them for driving 20 miles an hour and being so careful. I don't say that usually, but sometimes when the Holy Spirit can, when I've had long enough to work through all the anger and the things I want to do, Holy Spirit will say, bless them for being such careful drivers. But that's what humility does. Point number two, pride causes strife in relationships. So I'm going to be the example for you today, and, and I believe this is why God wanted me to preach this, because I have been living it, and I've not been on the successful end of dealing with my pride lately. So I'm four foot ten, and I may be sweet, but I am feisty. There is some feisty in me. Right, honey? He's had to deal with my feisty for 25 years. And I tell you, when I was pregnant with Gregory and he went out of town, he told me not to stand on the cabinets. But when I needed to get up top, I climbed right on up those cabinets. Because I'm 410 and I'm feisty, and usually that means I don't want you to tell me what to do. It means I don't, I don't want to be contained. <laughs> right, honey? It's all true. He's just going to, I told him we were, he knows we're talking about this, and, and I'm going to put it all on me. But Brian is very cautious and very protective, very careful. And so a lot of times when I would say, I want to do this, 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 and this, his caution would come in, and I would start to feel like he was the parent and I was the child. And my independent spirit and that rebelliousness that's in me didn't like it. And we've probably been working on this for maybe two years, I think. We've been working on it. And finally, he finally got to the point where this weekend, this is how bad it's gotten. He said, honey, I'm not trying to be condescending, but did you? Because he's learned that I have this button. And if you press that button of Lisa feels like you're treating her like she's stupid and like she's a child, he's learned it's ugly. So he came in with a lot of grace and prepared me, honey, I'm not trying to be condescending, but did you remember to shut this door? And because Holy Spirit had been working on me all week, I said, yes, honey, I did. <laughs> I did not come back with, do you think I'm stupid? Of course I shut the door, which the previous Lisa, before she wrote the sermon, might have said it. Not quite that forceful, but a little bit. So, this is the scripture that, um, and I will say that the things I don't want Brian to do to me are exactly what I do to him. I tell him where to park the car in the parking lot. I tell him which direction, which route he should take to get to the restaurant. I tell him, you need to get around that slow truck. I'm his little helper in the car. 
we might have a few others. That's what comedian Tim Hawkins calls it, the little helper in the car. That's me. I parent him, and then I get angry when he parents me. I boss him, but I don't like it when he bosses me. So here's the scripture. It's on your handout, Proverbs 13.10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. That one got me because I have not been taking advice very well. I have bucked up, talked back. I have, it's, it's been ugly. Here's another version. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. New Living Translation, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Are you teachable? How do you respond when someone comes with some correction? How do you respond when someone comes alongside and says, have you considered that these actions might be leading to this? Or when they say, honey, did you remember to shut that door? How do you respond? Those who are wise will receive it with grace. With grace. These are things pride will say. I was right. I told you so. You may not say it out loud, but when you say it internally, I told you so. That starts with I. It's probably pride. I'm not stupid. That's what I've been saying. I'm not stupid. Don't treat me like I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. Pride will say, because I said so. Pride will say, I know how to do it. You don't need to tell me how to do it. I know how to do it. And then you may not say this out loud, but you will say, pride will say, I know what is best. I know the best way. I know the answer. Pride gets angry. Proverbs 21, 24 says, the proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. Now, I know it's hard to imagine Lisa, the sweet little church lady with fury, but when I get pushed too hard, it's come out ugly, and this has probably been our main area of struggle for 25 years. I mean, otherwise, Brian and I, we, we have a great relationship. Pat spent VOA with us. We got along pretty well. You know, we have a good relationship, but when you hit that treat Lisa like she's a child and stupid, I blow up. I blow up. So <laughs> it got really ugly a few weeks ago because we have ventured out and we've bought a house in the mountains. And Pat Bradford's a realtor. She said the stress from buying a house is similar to having a child or a death in the family. And she was right because there was so much uncertainty in what was happening. You know, it's all uncertain. You know, is the loan going to come through, and is the appraisal going to be right, and what about the inspection? And there was so much uncertainty. Will we have a bed to sleep in? So we were stressed, and we were exhausted because we were moving. We were in pain. My poor little feet hurt so bad from all the working. And there was one day, um, <laughs> there was one day when I was, I was doing something, and Brian was asking me, I was going to hang up some meter sticks. And I'd already decided the best way 
was to do two different nails because then you wouldn't have to take one off. And Brian said, well, why are you doing it that way? And I said, because I want to. Isn't that a good enough answer? Because I want to. That's, that's enough. I, I want to. And of course, I know the best way. I've already decided. I've thought about it. I'm an engineer. I figured it out. It's the best, most efficient way to hang the stupid meter sticks. I mean, that was the low point of our week when sweet little church lady Lisa said, because I want to. I said it sweeter than that, didn't I, honey? <laughs> and that was not the first blow up. There was another time when he told me I was treating him like a child. And so pride causes division. I know the best way because I want to. That was like the low point of communication for us. Pride and impatience will tear your communication up with your spouse, your friend, your mother, your neighbor. And I've been wondering with me, I've been asking God this week, God, what's the root of that? Don't treat me like I'm stupid. And I think it's because I live with a PhD husband and a genius son and a daughter working on her doctorate. And for 23 years, I've been the housewife. I've been the housewife. I've gone to all these dinner parties with all the GE PhDs, and I'm just the arm candy. I'm just the housewife. And I think that's what has built in me the, I struggle with my words up here. I just show up, I show up, smile and nod. That's what I do. I just smile and nod. But I'm more than a housewife. That's what I want to say. I am not just a housewife. I'm more than that. I'm not the stupid woman people think I am. And I may be 4'10", but I'm stronger than I look. Like y'all are seeing the release that come out today. I'm more than that. I am a woman of God. And so that insecurity in me from being looked at as the housewife, the woman who just wiped noses and mopped floors, comes out as, I'm not stupid. Don't treat me like I'm stupid. And it's just been this button. And the more it gets pressed, the uglier it came out. So I just repent, honey, <laughs> for being prideful and independent and rebellious and insecure. And wouldn't you know it, this week I was listening to a book, driving across town 30 minutes. You, know, you want to know what she taught about? submission, wives submitting to husbands. And I was just like, oh, Lord, I've been horrible. It's been bad. Okay, another example, pride will not admit wrong. Pride covers it up. My daddy loved to chop down those gum trees that we had in our yard in Charlotte because they made gumballs, and he hated gumballs with a passion. So he was always getting his chainsaw and chopping down trees, but my mother didn't really like the chopping down of the trees. And so one time, evidently, while we were out of town, daddy chopped down a tree, and it fell on the deck. And he took pictures of it, but he didn't tell my mom. But when those pictures got developed, guess who found out what daddy had done? We all knew he had covered up, repair the deck, didn't tell anybody. 
Similar story a couple weeks ago, um, I had been buying decor for this new house. I'd been to New River Pottery, which is just an amazing place for women to go. And I had taken the decor. It was the night of pursuit when Parthena spoke. But that afternoon, I took the decor, set it behind my car. Then a few hours later, when I was driving out of the garage on the way to pursuit, I hear this crunch, crunch, crunch. So I get out and look, and I had driven over my $35 of decor. It was all broken. But do you think I put it in my trash can? No. Because then he would say, what is that? What have you done? And I may even get a, don't do that again. To which I would say, well, do you think I meant to the first time? This is a conversation we've had before. So I went to my neighbor and I said, can I put my trash in your trash can? So my husband won't know that I just backed out of the driveway and drove over my new purchases? True story. The trash man came and took my trash in her trash can. Pride covers up a wrong. Y'all pray for Brian because he's got to live with me. Pride covers it up. In relationships, since pride won't admit it wrong, it also won't apologize. Pride will not say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Pride may say, I'm sorry, but you made me angry and that's why I acted that way. Pride will always put a but, you, in there. But humility will say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Humility will own it. Humility will own it. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Pride won't say, you were right. I should have listened. Have y'all ever said that? I don't think I've ever said that. You were right. I should have listened to you. No, I don't think that's in my wheelhouse. Oh, Lord, help me with that one. But Ephesians 5.21, in addition to saying, wives, submit to your husbands, it says we're to submit to one another. That means in love, we're to honor one another, be patient with one another, apologize to one another, think the best of one another, not respond out of anger. The day that we left to drive up to the mountains, my prayer was this, God Help me to be humble and help me bite my tongue. That was my prayer. And God has taught me about humility through this. Pride causes strife, but humility will bring healing to relationships. Humility is patient. It's not defensive. It admits wrong. It apologizes. It's patient. It does not give a hasty, harsh response. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I want y'all to know I've apologized to my husband, and this week I was such a sweet, good wife, wasn't I, honey? I did the laundry, which I usually don't do laundry, and I unloaded the dishwasher, which sometimes I do. I even took his t-shirts that were washed and folded and had been sitting on the dresser for three, maybe four days. I folded them in half and put them away for him. So 
I was very sweet. I took him out to lunch yesterday, and we even went and got his hair cut. So I've been like trying to bend over backwards to be the sweet wife to my husband once again, now that Holy Spirit has said, those who receive wisdom are wise. Those who receive advice are wise. Holy Spirit is working on me, y'all. So the last thing that I want to say about pride is that pride keeps God at arm's length. What does that mean? Pride says, I can do it. I remember a Bible study that I taught in the admin building, and I had worked hard. I had prepared my content. It was in the Old Testament. I knew my stuff. I knew my Hebrew words. It was a good lesson. But I did not prepare my heart. And the only way I can describe it was like plowing concrete. It was the hardest Bible study I have ever taught because Holy Spirit didn't show up to help me. Y'all, when I put on my preaching shoes and I prepare my heart, I don't have to worry because I know if my heart is humble and it's dependent upon God and it says, God, I can't do it if you don't show up, I know that when I prepare my heart, that Holy Spirit will show up. I know it. I know it. And if I don't, I might fall off the stage. <laughs> it's hard. There's a difference, right? There's a difference when our heart is in the right place. When Holy Spirit shows up, we speak and we minister. We give and we make a difference we touch people and their lives are changed. We just love people and they feel it. But if Holy Spirit doesn't show up, all those things are just actions. They're just motions. There's no difference if we don't depend on God. There's humility and there's dependence. So Partnering with God in humility is depending upon Him. It's realizing that without an anointing, you can't do anything. It's also realizing that anything you can do is because of Him. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's dependence. The opposite of pride is, is saying, God, I need you. In the Bible, when we look at people that depended on God, there's Gideon when he defeated the Midianites. There was David when he beat Goliath, killed Goliath. There was the disciples who themselves struggled with pride and arrogance and being impetuous. But they changed the world. And then I like Paul's example. This is on your handout from Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 2 and then 8. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, catch this, God's grace, which was given to me for you, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. So I love it. He says it's twice. God's grace was given to me. God's grace was given to me. He didn't say, I can do that. <laughs> he didn't say, I, I was born knowing how to preach. He said, no, there was a grace. There was a gift. I call it an enabling grace 
There was a power that was available to him. He said, it was given to me for you. So you can see he depended on God. He didn't say, I can do this. I've got this. He wasn't like an American that said, oh, yeah, I can do it. Don't tell me I can't because I'll show you. No, he knew. He knew where his power came from. So here's, here's another example. For me, I've learned to say I'm a gifted communicator. Okay? I've learned to say that because I've had enough pastors, mentors, professors, people tell me that I am a gifted communicator. It's still hard to get the words out. But I can say that before you, let me just check my spirit, without pride. Why? Because I know it's a gift given to me. On my own, y'all, I struggle with finding my words all the time. You can ask Brian, especially if I'm struggling with anxiety, which, thank God, I've had two amazing weeks and I haven't. But there are times that I just struggle to get my words out. But I know when I prepare a message, I prepare my heart, I say, God, let me show up and serve you. That was my prayer today. I want to serve you. I know when I get up here that the Holy Spirit will meet me here with a gift to impart the Word of God to you. Because on my own, y'all, I can hardly even say I need a cup of coffee sometimes. But I know that Holy Spirit will show up when I depend upon Him. So that's another aspect of pride. There's that humility. And with humility comes a confidence it's like a bishop was talking about when we pray, that the words today, when we pray, we know what God's going to do. And I can walk up here in confidence because so many times I've said, God, meet me there, and he has. And now I know that he will. He won't leave me stranded at the altar. He won't stand me up. He won't stand you up. You can walk in your gifts and callings with confidence if you're humble and if you're dependent. If you're doing those two things, nothing can stop the power of God from working through you to change the world. But you have to be humble and dependent. And I'll just add grateful. Like the gift of communicating God has given to me, I just thank him for it. I didn't do anything. No, I've done some work, right? I've grown in my skills. I've asked my pastor, is there anything I could have done better? <laughs> I've been teachable. I've tried to be humble. So there's that tightrope of confidence and humility. I say this, I've got this because Jesus will help me. I just know he will. That's what I can say. I've got it because Jesus will help me. I just know he will. There's that faith. I call it a confident humility. Pride says, I can't do this. But confidence says, when Jesus shows up, because Philippians 4.13, I turn it around. I say, because Jesus strengthens me, I can do all things. That's that confident humility. Because Jesus strengthens me, I got this. I'm trying not to fall off the stage. <laughs> Holy Spirit will say, oh yeah, you got it? So pride keeps God at arm's length. Humility depends upon and partners with God. So, 
I hope today, as I've shared a little bit of my struggle with pride, walking in humility, and then learning how to walk in humility and dependence, partnering with God, because God does not like pride. It says he is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We all struggle with pride. It's one of my greatest struggles. I've got a sticky note on my inspiration wall that says, my greatest enemy is pride, so my greatest friend is vulnerability. That's why God has me stand up here and tell you my failures, because he knows it will humble me and bring me down to where I should be. But we all struggle with pride, and I hope today that I've helped you to identify some ways, some thoughts, some attitudes of your own heart where you also may be struggling with pride just like me. And when God comes and convicts us with the power of his word and puts a finger on something, he does it not because he's a mean daddy and says, I told you not to do that, but because he brings a gift that says, here is the grace that you need to change in this area. When he knocks on that door and convicts you, it's because Holy Spirit is there with the grace, with a grace gift to help you to change your heart. Because the goal is to be like Jesus, and to depend on Jesus so Jesus can use us to share his good news in the world. So the application for today is, I'm, wait, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> Hold on, back up. If you want to, you can ask God to give you humility. <laughs> if you want to. And he will. And there are times that we, we know we need to be knocked down a notch or two. But let's ask Holy Spirit, first of all, to reveal the pride that lives in our hearts. And then give us the grace to change. Because we don't want to be separated from people. And we don't want to be separated from God. But we want to walk in humility and walk in unity the way Jesus taught us to walk. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you um, that anything we can do, it's because of you. And anything we have, it's because of you. God, any um, success that we have, God, it's because of you. In us, there is no good thing. Apart from you, we can do no good thing. God, we just say Jesus is the only one worthy of honor and glory and praise, of beauty and majesty and power. Jesus, you are the only one worthy. So we just humble ourselves before you today. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to search our hearts and see if there's pride there and give us the grace to repent and to change. And we thank you for your kindness and your patience with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.